Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Is Your podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific topic in the space. This week, it's episode 18 of season three. We're going to have a chat around Windows 365, a subscription-based VDI service that, service that provides and automates the provisioning of cloud PCs for your end users. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How about you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, ready to jump into some uh, VDI uh, goodness with Windows 365. Um, yeah, looking forward to this one because um, from what I know of Windows 365, it's it's a um, it can be quite a efficient way to deploy cloud machines. It, it, does that sound about right? Yeah, it's kind of uh, I guess it's kind of a sister or brother to um, Azure Virtual Desktop. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, and we we recently did an episode, didn't we, on AVD Azure Virtual Desktop? Is that right? Yep. Yeah, we did. How many episodes? I can't what that episode. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on, we're on eighteen. <laughs> I think it's the season. But. <laughs> yeah. So if you do want to know about Azure Virtual Desktop, check out that previous episode um, that we did. Um, but should we should we jump straight into L? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I think it's probably worth uh, starting off. Um, Alan's Alan's going to be sort of the subject matter expert. I'm going to fire um, some questions at him. Hopefully, get as much of his insight and knowledge out out as I possibly can. Um, Alan, I think to start off with, um, if people don't, uh, maybe they don't currently use um, a, a VDI solution, um, or you know, maybe they've never they've never seen a VDI solution. Could you just explain at a high level what what VDI is and what it what it you know aims to achieve? Yeah, sure. So uh, VDI stands for virtual virtual desktop infrastructure, um, but in essence, it's a um, remote machine that allows you to you know, to access it into, into, um, you know, run processes or, you know, run applications on it. So, uh, quite a lot of people might remote desktop onto servers to, you know, administer their applications on premise, things like that. This is more around having a, uh, production or productivity machine that a user, you know, um, uses day to day, you know, with Office 365 on it, you know, running their, you know, their, their applications for your end users. So not necessarily for your IT admins kind of, you know, m- you know, maintaining applications themselves, you know, databases, things like that. This is more around, you know, a user jumps onto these machines and then they can you know, run their Outlook and run Office and do their day-to-day job in effect or role on there all day. Um, so some of those, some of those benefits for doing that so there's 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 quite a few there's one is that you don't have to potentially provide um you know laptops and full full-fledged desktops you might have uh, thin pcs which are sort of cut down machines so that they can just jump to these vdi solutions um and you know azure vetch desktop is one of those sort of solutions as well as you know windows 365 and you've got things like citrix out there that's a, a key a key provider out there um, another thing is that you might have some, uh, sites, uh, within your organization that doesn't have very good internet. Um, maybe, you know, maybe only has a 10 megabyte connection, things like that. And, you know, they're, they're using, you know, maybe they're consuming quite a lot of data. It takes a long time to, you know, download or upload that information. This is in effect a, a possibility or an option to 
um, <clears throat> deploy you know them to remote onto a machine that's maybe in your your data center so it's close to the data and able to consume it there where they've got like a full you know a, a, a full-fledged internet connection or a, a network connection that's directly to the data so they can run more efficiently um, without any like lag or um, or just in network problems to be honest because uh, you know a, a remote desktop session can potentially um, work on an intermittent connection or it can try to work on an intimate connection at that point. Um, but yeah, this kind of came out of um, sort of the the other way of doing it is um, you know using remote desktop services as another sort of name for for this sort of service. Um, but virtual VDIs tend to be you know personal machines or a pool of machines that is a one to one scenario in most cases, um, rather than it being um, like multi-session, like we talked about with Azure Virtual Desktop. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of a quick overview, I think. So you mentioned RDS, and Windows 365 is obviously a cloud service. So how would have this been done more traditionally in the past? You know, um, we're talking about a cloud solution here, but you know, what, what might people be migrating from and what might they be currently evaluating against? So potentially, so this would probably be done on-premise, uh, with remote desktop services or uh, you know Citrix on premise, um, and that is you know uh, a, a bunch of big hosts that then um, have virtual machines on them. Um, that then you provision as you need, sort of potentially manually or using something like um, Virtual Machine Manager, maybe or the Citrix or the solution that you're working with um, doing that automation for you. So I believe that the you know, Citrix can you know, do that automatic provisioning on premise for you kind of thing. Um, but they might be coming from that, or potentially it still could be in the cloud, um, but still managed as infrastructure. So that could be potentially like Azure Vetch Desktop, where it's a similar solution, but you know you're managing the the virtual machines, um, and or it could be you know again Citrix in the cloud somewhere. Um, you know, even on Azure or uh, in any other sort of data center where they support it. Okay, so we effectively just, uh, and I suppose we'll, we'll talk about this with Windows three six five, but we're we're trading the, the more traditional approach of provisioning hardware, maybe even IaaS with you know a software vendor on top potentially. You know, that could be RDS from Microsoft, or it could be Citrix, um, as well. We're trading that for just a singular, you know, cloud service at this point, aren't we? Yeah, and if you did have it on premise, you'd have to pre preempt your um your resource. You know, you have to buy your servers up front. You know, it's not a on demand or you have to sort of pre provision it, assuming you're gonna need it all kind of thing. So there's normally a, a high upfront cost for those sort of projects, especially on premise, to understand what what technology you want to use or what's pro, you know what software rds solution you want to use as well as then how much compute you're going to need and and that sort of stuff and you could just sort of buy that up front and you know hope not say hope for the best but hope that you don't need to buy more servers or you've over provisioned and then you've you know, you're not potentially got you know wastage there yeah and if i suppose if you if this is a new service you're bringing into your organization there could be a time where, you know, for that first cycle of hardware, there could be inefficiencies with utilizing that hardware, right? 
you know, if you spec your hardware for a hundred users and you only add them in batches of 10 every month or something like that, you're going to have potentially utilization just sitting there, you know, in inverted commas wasted until you consume it. Right. So, um, so, so, you know, once you've got that service operation, I suppose, once you've got that service inside your business and you've got your, you're not growing, let's say you've just got a steady number of users. I suppose it's quite simple to, you know, from an, like an on-prem perspective, just, you know, re- refresh that hardware, if that makes sense. But up until that point, there could be a bit of inefficiency. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, maybe your your total cost of ownership may take longer to recognize uh, yeah. if you're taking that that stage approach, which you would do in, in a big deployment like that. You would never go big bang with it all. Yeah, and I suppose that's probably, that's quite a simplistic viewpoint as well, I suppose, because, you know, we'll take it, maybe if we play a devil's advocate, there might be workloads that just simply can't go into the cloud. You know, maybe they are cost prohibitive for specific, like, you know, high consumption or, you know, high performance workloads or the specific hardware that you've got and things like that. So it's not one. compliances. Yeah, it's it's not one solution fits all. There, There is, there's multiple different products that you could potentially utilize right even just within microsoft yeah okay so vdis um i think that was a really good explanation of you know why vdis are important what role they play and and some of their use cases um so so how does how does windows 365 um so, so what is windows 365 and how does it improve on some of those scenarios yeah, so Windows 365 kind of acts like um, like a desktop as a service. So it provides it's, it's providing personal VDIs to users, and instead of it being the traditional sort of Windows Server 2012 R2 or you know, 2016, 2019 now, um, and etc. And this is providing you know Windows 10, Windows 11 um, personal machines to users, and it's just and it's auto, you know, in effect automatically provisioned for you by Microsoft. So you, it's almost it's a um, it's a it's a it's a, a subscription rather than a sort of you have to it's this um, what I'm thinking of it's rather than saying you know I need to spin up this serve uh, you know this this virtual machine for them. It's kind of you you subscribe to a certain skew of compute things like that for the year or for the month or for the months that kind of thing. So definitely brings it into a new sort of, you know, you've got a user, um, they need a desktop. Instead of providing the hardware, they can use their own machines, their own personal machines, and then they just, um, you know, we're provisioning a, a, you know, a, a VDI in the cloud quite you know, quite simply kind of thing. Okay, so it's, it's almost like a... I don't want to call it SaaS because it's not, it's still not SaaS because you still got to configure it right. But it's, it takes that, you know, unlike AVD where you've got to provision your infrastructure, this is effectively just a, like a license SKU that you buy at the right size for a user and it just, everything's handled for you automatically from an infrastructure perspective. Yeah, correct. It's, um, like you said, it's all that, the, the infrastructure is managed by Microsoft. So you don't have to worry about that you're paying for effect the machine to be on for 24, 20, 24 hours a day, 24, seven, three, six, five, you know, it's on all the time. Um, so it's kind of, it's very, it's very similar to AVD, Azure Edge desktop. 
Um, just that you know it, you're in effect paying per user per month for a machine to be available for them. Okay, yeah. So um, should should we move on to costs and you know how how do you pay for it and you know how what are the SKUs that are available with inside of Windows three six five? Yeah, so I, I'm definitely not going to be going for all of these because there are so many because it depends on the combination you need. So you know this you know they they range from uh, from a compute RAM and storage perspective. They RAM the comp there's there's various combinations from two virtual cores up to eight virtual cores, and it goes from four gigabytes of RAM to thirty two gigabytes of RAM. And then for storage, you know, local disk for the user, it's, it can go from 64 to 512 gigabits, gigabytes of storage and various combinations in there. Um, example of pricing. Uh, so in fact, just before we talk about pricing, um, there is three different types of licensings now, licenses now. There was two, but recently Microsoft announced a new one. So there is the Windows 365 Business, Windows 365 Enterprise, and now a new one called Windows 365 Frontline. Um, so they have slightly different pricing between them. But for, for business, um, say a two-core, four-gig of RAM, 64-gig of storage um, is £32 per user per month. Oh, sorry, $32 per user per month, not pounds. Um, for enterprise, uh, let me just double check. It's twenty-eight dollars per user per month in there. But it's interesting because there's more benefits actually in the enterprise one. But I'm guessing it's because of the amount of other things you it, it you have to do sort of manually, I guess. And we'll talk about the difference in a minute. Um, so if we go to the highest one that I can see, um, which is eight virtual cores, thirty-two gig of RAM. 512 gigabytes of storage that is on business $162 per user per month and it's $158 on enterprise um, I haven't said anything around the frontline pricing because we don't know that yet because it's not been announced um, so once we go into those you'll kind of understand potentially what well not to say why but probably guess what that pricing may or may be might may or may not be Okay, so, so so yeah, can you just explain the differences between business, enterprise, and frontline? Yeah, so to business kind of ties in with all the Microsoft, you know, business premiums, things like that. It's all designed for under 300 users. So you can't have more than 300 licenses. Um, but what it does do is there's some limitations about what you can do with them, as you can kind of understand with some of it. So... One part is that you can only Azure AD join them. Um, and with Windows Enterprise, you can Azure AD join them. You can also connect them to a virtual network in Azure. So you can hook up to your your corporate network, um, which then also means you can AD join them, which is quite, quite good. Um, some of other things around it is that... Um, let me just look because there's quite a few things. Um, one of the main thing is that when you with Windows three six five for biz, well with Windows three six five business is that it auto provisions the the machine for you. 
there's no other configuration you need to do. Automatically, Azure AD joins it and um, yeah, and then provisions it, and the, it's ready for the user. Um, it doesn't give you the options around configuring it with Intune. You can do that, but it's very it's not as flexible as Windows with the Enterprise SKU. So with the Enterprise SKU, you can use Group Policy or Intune for that, but of Group Policy if it's you know domain joins. Um, provisioning is done based on groups, so you can specify whether a user is a local admin or a you know a a, a, a local admin or a, you know, a standard user, um, as well as um, where connecting to the the Azure virtual network um, subnet and uh, which if you're not using that, you can specify which region you want it to come out of. So you can say that it comes out of the the UK or the US, if that's where you know that group of users are based. So you can specify you know which which areas to come from. Um, in essence, the main thing really is that it's the the business side of it, the the business version of it is kind of tying, doing a lot of the sort of Windows updates things like that, and all sort of the Intune based configuration sort of high level for you without you being able to edit it because it's kind of designed for you know getting those small businesses up and running with some security. But with Enterprise, it basically allows you to be more customizable. It puts it into Intune. You have an Intune license. You can then push you know, multiple policies, applications to it and, and do all that sort of stuff with it. So that's kind of the main, the main sides of it. Um, with Frontline, this is slightly different. So this is based on the functionality of Enterprise, but the licensing is slightly different. So for, for business and enterprise, it's a, a SKU per user. And each user could technically have two SKUs, different SKUs, which means they would have two, you know, two different Windows 365 boxes, but they'd be at different you know, SKU levels, um, you know, different compute and, and RAM, et cetera. They can't have the same one. With Frontline, it allows you to buy a single license but it provides a virtual machine for three users. But only one of those users can access it at any one time. So this is kind of designed for shift work. So if you've got, you know, three users that kind of are on a shift and they cover different, you know, different times, you know, 24 seven, um, this allows you to provision in effect, you know, pay for one machine to be powered on um, across, you know, 24 hours, but three users have their own virtual machines as they sort of work. So it's a way of potentially reducing costs rather than having three machines on 24-7 or paying for three machines all the time. Kind of thing. So it's kind of like a concurrent licensing. Okay, so so yeah, so w- what I take from the different types is that business is obviously a little bit more simplistic to... I think they're all pretty simplistic to get started with, but yeah. even more simplistic for business. And then enterprise is layering on, you know, features that the enterprise actually requires, right? Because, you know, uh, newer organizations, you know, in, in 2023 that have under 300 users, the chances of them needing, you know, Active Directory and and, and more, more advanced management features, you know, they, they, there's, there's obviously going to be some that are going to need more than that, right? But generally... You know, you're going to be looking at enterprise of you know enterprises, larger organisations who have that on-prem infrastructure, 
right? And even potentially private infrastructure in Azure as well, you know? Um, and then frontline is, seems like a great way to be able to utilize some of that wasted compute in different hours, right? Because, you know, because you are paying just a monthly fee to have a box for that month, you know, being able to be able to somebody, they don't jump onto the same box, do they? They all have their own separate boxes. They can just can't power them on at the same time in theory. Um, So that's a way to, to potentially reduce costs, but we don't have pricing on that skew just yet to understand, you know, because my assumption is they're not just going to let you have three users share a license for free because then it would be, you know, there's, there's going to have to be some sort of uplift, I assume, uh, on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I at a guess, and this is a guess, I, you know, it might be that it it's like one and a half times a normal license yeah. to cover three users. And you don't assign the licenses to users. So you, if you say you had like 100 licenses, um, that means potentially you could have 300 users access 100 machine. Or, yeah, three, 300 users could only access, you know, the machine, 100 of the machines. That, you know, there's only 100 on at a time. Um, but when you basically, when you go to do the provisioning side of it, you specify that it's a front, you know, frontline license. And then you can provision, you can assign people to the provisioning um, setting, which means that they provision their machines. So it doesn't mean that, you know, it's these three people have to share. It's across the the tenant kind of thing. So it's okay. not, yeah. it's as long as you've associated the provisioning profile to 300 users, those 300 users share are in the, like the pool for those yeah. hundred machines. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah, yeah. So if you've got 300 users that you think are going to be active at one time, in theory, you could have 900 users in scope of that, couldn't you? Right. Yeah. And as long as over those 900, as long as only 300 are booted up at any one time. But like you say, if me and you usually, let's say I follow you on my shift normally, but we happen to be working in the same shift that day, we can both boot because it's not linked to specific people at that point. It's just the pool of users that you've got. Correct. Yeah. Unless, yeah, all of them were unavailable because normally there'd be your one spare that, you know, the shift after me, then then there wouldn't potentially be a machine for you. Yes, true. Yeah. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, and the, the kind of pools are based on the SKU. So you can only like share against a certain SKU kind of thing. So if you've got multiple SKUs, those, that's the sort of groups, I guess. It's based on the, the, the yeah. VM size, the, your provisioning. Okay. So let's... Let me just jump back a second when we were talking about the pricing, right? Because we sort of jumped into the versions because mm. I wanted to understand what features you're getting there. But I've got, so I've got two questions. The first is, is the numbers that you quoted, I think it was like 100 for the more powerful one, the 8V core with 64 gig of RAM, was it? And 8V cores, 64 gig of RAM and 8 yeah, 832, 512, yeah. 8.32.512. Sounds like you're specking a laptop, right? And that's effectively what you're getting, aren't you? You're getting a cloud machine, desktop, laptop, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, yeah. Now, I don't know because let's, let's um, invent a, a fictitious company that works remote, okay? I don't know how much a laptop a laptop of that specification would cost 
I assume, dollar-wise, it must be at least $2,000. Maybe $3,000 at that point. Probably at least, yeah. Then you've got to get it to the person. You've got to get it set up. And then you have to... I don't know how long, because I'm not in that space, how long that laptop would last. Let's say it's three years. Mm, I don't know. It's pro- Maybe probably minimum longer. three years, isn't it? You'd maybe sweat that for longer nowadays. Maybe it's four yeah. years. Um, then I also don't know what the ongoing costs for supporting the actual hardware of that laptop, because the software is the software and configuration is the same, isn't it? Because you're either managing these boxes in the cloud or you're managing mm-hmm. a laptop, right? Really, with things like Intune, right? So I don't really know, you know, if if a laptop lasts four years and um, laptop lasts four years and let's say it's going to cost you $800 a year, something like that, right? The prices that you just quoted me are more like, I don't know, $1,400, $1,500 a year, something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So I suppose that's the, uh, and that's really rough numbers and I've got nothing to support, you know, because... How many hardware callouts do you get on the average laptop in an organization over a four-year period? Must be at least one, I would have thought. Maybe more, right? But, yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's that, yeah. isn't it? But it's also, you know, I mean, if you think about laptops, there's potential of it being dropped. Accidental damage. Missing. Maybe that's the highest. It, yeah. It going, you know, if, if especially if your, your, your remote users are quite far away as well and getting it over there, the cost of providing new hardware providing you know that yep. support is it support in that country does it have to come back to be supported you know there's all that those questions as well yeah well like for instance i won't name any specific products or companies but i i um uh, i know of somebody that um had to ship a laptop to another country that cost over a hundred dollars to send it there it took six weeks to arrive because of various custom things we you thought it was lost at one point who knows um and the 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 also double damaging part of that is the brand of that laptop that there was there is no retail presence in that in that um country either so even to get support the laptop would have to come back to base before it got repaired or whatnot because where that user was located so in that environment that laptop and this is a bit of a niche scenario because this isn't like it wasn't being sent to like the uk or the us you know where there's lots of retail support and all of that sort of stuff but in that scenario uh the risk of that hardware was so high because you know if the laptop didn't turn on one day then you were potentially a month or two months from resolution of that or it's another laptop waiting to be sent out so there is a business continuity aspect of it as well for remote workers, especially. Um, so, and I, I'm, I'm obviously going to pick an extreme example of what I've seen, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's forgetting about, like you say, uh, theft, loss, um, you know, accidental damage, all of those things were human. Well, that happens in the real world, well, right? You it, know, it might be that because if it's a, if it takes six weeks to go, you know, go to 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 those those users, it might be you. You buy if it's a if it's a team, 
you might buy a couple of spares just to sit there yep, and that's what just in case. But yep. then you've got to patch those. They've got to be turned on at some point to be updated potentially. Or I guess they're um, you know, they're autopiloted, then yeah. it's yes. probably not so bad. But yeah. Okay, so, so, so we, you know, our very quick maths, we may pay a bit more, but we maybe get reduced risk and things, things like that. But um, the users have to dial in on some machines anyway. Yeah. So what types of machines are we looking at for those users? Let's make the worst example of we're not going to make people use their own machines for it. You know, maybe it's an employee that you you don't want. Maybe they don't have any other device that they're willing to use. What would we do in that scenario? So depending on what they're they're sort of doing. So they could just be, you know, in effect, you know, a thin terminal, thin, you know, thin PC machine that is very high level it could be you know something uh, an app you know a a laptop that's bought locally by the user maybe for the organization expensed that's you know cheap you know cheaper than it would be if they bought the hardware sort of thing um the depend like i said depending on what they're doing potentially it could just be an ipad it could be a chromebook because windows 365 like avd you can access it from any any device anywhere kind of thing so you know there's potentially because you know the new um ipads things like that i think you know you can hook them up to to, to monitors and have a keyboard and mouse you know bluetooth keyboard and mouse attached to it we've you know we got someone that where we work where they that's what they take to the office now with windows 365 instead of taking their their large laptop um there's that potential. It could be an Android. You know, potentially, it could even be like an Android phone or you know an iPhone. Maybe if it could do the you know the 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 attached screen, um, to make it into you know full screen thing. The, the the reason why I say it depends what they do is some of the redirection for Teams audio and things like that isn't quite there yet for other endpoints apart from Macs and Windows. To that redirection of you know the 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 video and stuff, so it's it's a better experience. But then I suppose you could say they could just use the app on the iPad to access Teams. Depends on the organization requirements and the restrictions. Because I suppose that, that iPad could still be managed. Yeah, I was the 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 sort of point I was I was just thinking about is if if they did go down to their local like electronics store and buy a laptop, do we do we care that that laptop is you know not patched and potentially not patched and the vulnerabilities on it? You know, or do we just do we just enforce a minimum, you know, uh, client version that they have to connect with? You know, how how do we then secure that that machine? There's, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, it's it's always the risk with bringing your own, of you know what the endpoint is, but you're doing multi-factor authentication to connect to Windows three six five. You're also you can also limit the what they can copy and paste and, and things like that and what they can screen grab potentially. So providing your, you know, your endpoint that you're connecting to is secure and that your identity is secure, then I don't, I, I can't, I don't really see, I, I see a, a, a definitely a reduced risk in what the endpoint is. I mean, okay. yeah, because you, you know, you're securing the access, you know that it's them you're doing MFA and you're doing other checks like the location, things like that, using conditional access. And then when you're jumping onto the machine itself, you're stopping any copy paste 
any potentially screen grab and things like that. So then yeah. they can't, you know, exfiltrate data that way. And then if, you know, if you're, if you've got Defend for Endpoint on there and Endpoint DLP, you know, all the Microsoft technologies on there, then you're protecting it that way. The, you know, the Endpoint, the, 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 the Windows 365 Endpoint. And, you know, as well, if you've got the Azure virtual network connection, it might be going through the corporate firewall. Yeah. So again, you know exactly what's happening sort of thing. So, so sorry for that question. I think that then just, I think then just bring your own principles then apply, isn't it? Yeah. Right. If you're, if you are going down this rule, there's just the, the headline is, is yeah. Bring your own at this point. Um, and, and, and the best practice around that, um, is then what kicks in, which is okay. And that's a, that's a well-established pattern anyway, isn't it? You know, what I've discussed, it's not, that's not just a windows 365 or AVD topic then, is it right? That's just, that's just bring your own, like, you know, that's like saying, you know, can everybody have email on their phones, you know? Right. And, um, so, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so let's. So that was a great. Thank you for answering those questions, Alan. Because you know, there's because there's a a wide range in use case. You know, there can be some complexities in determining like what the best solution is and what fits where and and how it all fits together. So I suppose that leads me on to my next question: is is like how easy is it to to set up? So we kind we kind of talked about this a little bit. So so for business, it's kind of assign a license to the user and. Hey, there's a virtual machine ready for them in 20 minutes, kind of thing. They access it. They go to the Windows 365 app. They can download from the store, um, and they can see their machine, or it'll tell them it's being provisioned. And then they log on to it, and then they got their machine. Um, from an enterprise and frontline scenario, um, generally the same. It's just there's a bit more configuration within Intune. Um, ignoring configuration because that is obviously extra. To, to you know, to do more security things like that, but you might already be doing that for your current Windows 10, Windows 11 devices. So it's just kind of like a they act as you know, in effect, one of those machines. There may just be some additional configuration you might want to do because of a, you know, remote desktoping or you know, the VDI sort of solution. You maybe want to for for at least the um, the front line side of things, you might want to say that if they're inactive for five minutes, you disconnect them so that it's. Um, so it helps with the whole switching machines for users kind of thing. Or there might be some other stuff that you might want to do some optimization maybe to get more out of the, the compute. Maybe you don't want to spec it as high, but you might want to turn some services off that don't make no sense on a on a virtual desktop kind of thing. Um, but yeah, all you've got to do is really set up the the provisioning profile within Intune. Um, there's a there's a you know its own section within Intune once you've got the licensing you know, applied, um, that allows you to specify, you know, where they connect to the network, uh, what image you want to use. Cause you can use custom images if you want to build your own for it. Um, if that's a requirement or use the, you know, the templates from Microsoft, you know, the, the windows 11 with office 365 or pre-installed. Um, and then there's just the user settings, which is in effect, just saying, uh, whether the user is a standard user or an admin user on that device. Um, once that's configured and assigned to a group and then users are put in that group, it then starts automatically provisioning. So it's relatively simple to configure. And then it, in effect, kind of acts like Azure Vegetable Desktop at that point. 
yeah, the same sort of experience in some some sense. Yeah, so so just we won't talk about it a lot, um, but the difference between this and Azure Virtual Desktop is effectively you don't have to build that infrastructure in Azure. Yeah, it's kind of the way it's kind of seen is that um, Windows three six five is kind of this is the you know these are the SKUs and this is what you get, which is great for for quite a lot of scenarios. You know, this is predefined for you. You don't have to think about it. Um, they're they're one to one machines. They're on twenty four seven, and there's not you know there's not too much wriggle room with them. You know, this is this this is what you get. Um, and I'm not saying that in a bad sort of way because potentially that is all you want. You just want, you know, it's like buying a laptop. You generally in organizations, well, in larger organizations, at least you will normally agree a, a laptop model for a persona and go, right, we're going to buy a thousand of these, you know, hundreds or thousands of these machines. This is going to be our supported one kind of thing. We know it's never, um, you know, there are, there, there are edge cases where it's like, you know, one-offs and things like that. But generally there's a, you know, there's four types of machines within an organization that are going to be supported. So it's, it's yeah, kind of similar. But with AVD, it kind of allows you to do anything you want. You know, if you want different SKUs, if you want multiple pools to access, you know, use to access different pools for different scenarios, then they can. Um, Windows 365 is kind of a one-to-one. You know, AVD allows you to have multiple machines, users on a single machine using the multi-session. Um, and again, there's pros and cons to that. There's pros and cons to Windows 365 kind of thing because, you know, you might have users that, I uh, know, they, they all do the same, you know, the same, they're, they're all the, the, the same persona. But in Windows 365, you might have to provision 200 virtual machines for them and manage 200 at that point. And when I say manage, it's more of the operational side of things. Make sure they're patched. When there's vulnerability, you've got to patch 200 machines kind of thing, you know, that that sort of scenario, which, you know, they, in in that's still something that a user, you'd still have to do for that user if they had a laptop. So it's not, let's say, extra work. Um, but in AVD, that might only be 15 hosts for you to manage. But then, you you know, there's the other caveat is that you've got 50, you got X users on a host that could, you know, take them, you know, take them out that way. So there's, there's slightly more risk in, in, you know, users and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's, there's, there's pros and cons both sides to it. It's just working out whether it meets your use cases. I think definitely. Okay, great. Thank you, Alan. Um, so what I've seen recently is lots of, um, new features and changes coming out for windows 365. So is there anything coming up soon? That's exciting um that that people need to know about if they're considering um windows 365 yeah so obviously the the latest announcement about frontline licenses that's definitely something to watch and to see whether it meets helps with your your use cases kind of thing if you've got shift workers or um there may be other scenarios you just to sort of mention that you don't have to have frontline licenses it can be you know e3 z5 scenarios it's just called. It's. I think it's really called frontline because it's kind of you know matching with that shift work sort of pattern kind of things. But maybe there is there's potential that maybe you've got a little bit of overlap, and you maybe might be able to save a little bit of money on licensing because you can. Yeah, you know, maybe you've got 
200 users that are in most of the time maybe there's a there's a small amount that work overnight you might be able to get away with maybe that front license frontline licensing to sort of help you reduce some cost can i can um, i just ask a quick question about licensing so we should approach this in the fact that paying for windows 365 we're not actually getting a windows license are we we're just getting a box yeah that we so then license to... on top like normal if if that makes sense yeah so you have to so for enterprise you have to have an e a windows license Windows Enterprise license, so Windows E3 or Windows E5. Um, for business, you don't, but I think that's why you, it's slightly more expensive because you're paying for that license monthly, basically. So, sorry, you could have even have a have a like a lower business skew that doesn't include Windows so, on the business. Well, business, business, the business licenses don't. You don't. There's not a prereq for Windows Enterprise. Okay. Uh, to have it as a subscription. Um, and I think you just you in effect pay more because I think when I I did it I think there was like three or four pound a, a month more the business excuse than the right. enterprise. Um, but they but they you know they're slightly cheaper the enterprise ones, but then you got to have the pre you know the prereq licensing. Yeah. So I think so. Um. But yeah. Okay. So the the other thing is there's a new app coming and it's been talked about for quite some time now so i'm hoping it's coming out soon because i really want it um but it's the windows 365 switch app and it's been talked about and in effect what it allows you to do is at the mo- so at the moment um you download the windows 365 app you click on your 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 machine you connect to it you do your mfa etc and then you connect to that machine and it's full desktop and then you, know, you just use it with windows 365 switch um, the concept or the vision of it, um, and it's been seen sort of or potentially working, it's been announced quite some time, is that um, the features in Windows 10 and 11 is that you can have multiple desktops and that you can switch between them. So maybe you've got like your your Outlook stuff in, in one desktop and then you can switch it over to like your development. So you have all your development windows up. This in effect allows you to sort of switch over to your 365 desktop just by in effect swiping or switching desktop and it just looks like you then just jumped onto it so if you've got like two personas and maybe you're doing like stuff like or you're using your personal machine they need to go to work you just in effect swipe to the right once it's connected and mfa'd and then you're just on and then when it's lunchtime or whatever i guess you can then switch over back to your personal and do you know browse the internet for your you know, for your for your lunch so i think that's really really good the the other part to that and kind of tied in is that they're bringing in so that you can directly boot into windows 365 so you power on your machine it does some authentication somewhere i don't know how you know, i've not seen it yet um and then you just log in like you would normally to your machine you know username password or um passwordless if you're using other things um and then you're into your virtual machine and you potentially you wouldn't even know you're connected just connects so i think that's a great experience and maybe that's where like the the thin terminals and and thin pcs and stuff are going to be really powerful because you're not even going to know that you jumped into a into your machine yeah exactly And, and and those machines can become sort of dedicated windows 365 boxes Mm. then at that point right so you're 
yeah, uh, d- definitely. That sounds that sounds really powerful. Yeah, that. There was some talk, and again, I've not looked into it too much, but there was talk about them being able to synchronize with the local windows as well, so that it was able to work out if you get got disconnected, you could still use your local machine. Right. I don't. Okay. It's. I say again, I've not seen a lot of it. I've just seen the 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 chat, you know, the chatter about it, kind of thing. So, definitely seems interesting. Um, and the other sort of feature to talk about is kind of what I said around the Microsoft Teams. Um, media redirection so this has always been a thing with remote desktop and vdis is you don't want your audio and stuff to run on those virtual machines because you're basically using the computer to to, gen- you know, to manage it this is in effect um, redirect to the local machine and you know your your team's message or your team's video and audio is coming from your local machine and then going to microsoft teams directly but it's linked to your remote desktop session and it kind of like um places the the video even though it's local but on the on the the stream from the remote desktop so kind of like it's weird it kind of like pictures on picture it sort of thing okay for you yeah but yeah that just reduces um the load on the the machines and you know azure veg desktop's got that as well um as a feature so i uh, just thinking you talking about load you don't pay bandwidth for this do you for windows 365 like you would with avd so you don't you you don't for connecting to it and if you've um just used microsoft managed networking then you don't it's all included but if you hook it up to you know a, a vnet in your azure infrastructure then the outbound of it will go via that Azure and you'll pay for it that way. Okay. Yep. So if you, yeah, if you need to go fire a, a firewall or you want to connect to the internal, the internal side of things, then you'll run through the networking there and you'll pay for, for that. Even if you like your, your um, egress point is on premise, it's the egress point. It'll be, you'll be charged for the egress out of through the VPN to on premise. Yeah. Still. And it, but if you wanted to treat them, even if they were like managed by you, and you wanted to keep them out, quotes on the internet, you could always VPN them back in if if you've got that solution as well, right? Yeah, you know? I don't see why not. Yeah, that's potentially as well. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to um, keep them like completely segregated, I'm not sure why you would do that because if you could just hook it to your VNet, you'd probably just hook them straight in. But if you did want to keep them or into a separate VNet for themselves, you know, a separate subnet for themselves and then peer that in somehow. But I'm just thinking... Because at the end of the day, it's just a box, isn't it? It's 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 no different than a laptop, really. If, Correct, if that makes yeah. sense, right? You know, so you can just you could have them VPN into another place in Azure, if if that makes sense, if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, for like the Azure ID joined, or yeah, sorry, the Active Directory joined, then you would have to have the the VNet in. Yeah, exactly. and like you said, to be honest, it might be. Potentially, it might be cheaper to have it connect to the VNet because your domain controllers and stuff on all your infrastructure might be in Azure. It's only when you're your internet outbound that you'll pay for then. It depends yeah, exactly, where yeah. where your data is. Yeah. Um, and um, what else am I thinking of? Yeah, that's probably it. You, yeah, because you can only do AD joined over the, the, the VNet side of things. Okay, cool. So, sounds good. 
Um, any other points or anything, Alan, that you want to go over? Anything you think you've missed? or The, the only things I'd say is, uh, and I think we need to do an episode on it, is you know, not necessarily AVD versus Windows 365, um, but kind of highlighting the differences between them and where you'd use each one. I know we kind of talked about, we've done an AVD one, um, but we've also done, you know, just done this one, but I think we need to do that comparison in an episode. I think there's definitely pros and cons. Um, and for, for licensing perspective, you have to consider that if you're in a, an EA gr- agreement and, you know, um, potentially you're trying to um, get a discount by, you know, purchasing X amount on that EA agreement on your renewal, um, you just need to consider that you've kind of got to agree what SKU you want. So you've got to have that understanding that, um, you know, business analysis of what what machines you need to use and that sort of stuff. But that's kind of the good thing about it is that, you know, initially you could do pay-as-you-go, try them out, see if they work. If they don't, get rid, you know, get rid of them, deprovision them, cancel the, the, the licensing, get the next SKUs that you need. Um, where with your on-premise, you've paid for that compute so you've got to try and make everything fit or like we said you might under you might have you might over provision and then your per machine might cost more yeah kind of thing yeah exactly okay thank you very much for that alan that's been a great great overview cool so what's what's the next episode then sam um yeah so next episode is going to be uh, me talking about azure devops um it's a platform that we use um, quite heavily um, to 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 manage our um, projects, code, um, and um, I, I'm going to cover the whole of DevOps, um, but probably the main sort of area that we utilize is um, Azure DevOps pipelines, which is a CI/CD environment um, for deploying your um, to deploying your. Um, um, not just code, code and infrastructure and many other different things that you might want to automate in pipelines. Um, so I will be covering, you know, the overview of Azure DevOps. We'll, we'll probably do more in-depth episodes on each section, uh, maybe in the next season, um, and then really get into some, um, you know, nitty gritty of each area. But um, I'm going to, because um, I, I think there's a lot of, because of the naming, I think there's a lot of confusion about what is actually included in DevOps. Um, because when you you hear the words Azure DevOps, you think it's very um, DevOps focused, when actually it's it's a bunch of different tooling that is in one place. So um, yeah, so I'm going to take everybody through that. Cool. If you've enjoyed this episode, um, please do consider subscribing if you'd like to listen to more of this sort of content in the future. Uh, we have many more topics that we'd like to cover and your listens and support is what will continue to fuel the podcast going forward. We also have the ability for you to give us some feedback. Did you enjoy this episode? Did Do you disagree with some of my thoughts or are there anything that I've missed? Um, please use the form, the contact form uh, in the show notes um, or you can leave us a voice message on our website um, in the bottom right corner. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe some ideas or some suggestions for next season's episodes would be would be good yeah only a couple of episodes left i'm getting very close now so yeah really exciting yeah definitely thanks alan um catch you all on the next one yeah cheers everyone uh speak to you next week bye